Banen. Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Action. This is the podcast that's your new favorite. It's restaurant fiction. You see, when restaurant fiction first saw the film Star Wars, we thought it was boring. And we screamed this. And millions of haters asked why. We said to them, we didn't need another space odyssey between a character named Luke and a big baddie with Mufasa's voice. The pundits asked what we thought of Han Solo and the bar, the Moss Eisley Cantina. We asked, what? They were like, dude, you missed the most important part of the film. It's the only part that welcomes you into the entire Star Wars universe. We rewatched it. Actually, we only rewatched the cantina part, and all of the pundits were right. The fictional bar is the most important part of the film. Thus, the idea of Restaurant Fiction was born, a podcast website media outlet that reviews every single fictional restaurant, bar, and club in TV and film and gives you a Hollywood insider perspective never thought about before. I'm Honest Rose, a chef, screenwriter, Jonathan Gold taught restaurant critic, hunter, gatherer, and occasional farmer. Oh, I'm also your host. This episode, we are breaking down the Regal Beagle, the prominent fictional bar from the sitcom Three's Company. For those who watched it and those who didn't, it's the TV show from the late 70s and early 80s that featured two hot women and a dude living together plutonically in Santa Monica. It was like friends before friends. There's only one person who knows the Regal Beagle more than restaurant fiction, and that's Angela Marie Hutchinson. Who is Angela? She's a TEDx speaker, producer, screenwriter, adjunct professor, published author, having written books both for adults and children, and the founding executive director of Breaking Into Hollywood. Oh, and these are only a few accolades. Yes, only the tip of the iceberg of how awesome Angela is. You move into a new city, whether that be Los Angeles or not, the first person you look up to is Angela Marie Hutchinson. She reveals the beauty of life around every corner with a proactive approach. You'll see why in just a second, immediately after this short review of the Regal Beagle from Three's Company. Go. All right. So, guys, restaurant fiction, we like bars. I uh, Please do not judge us. On any street, but we like bars, we like taverns, we like pubs, we like hipster bars, we like mixology bars, we like just hole in the wall 
locals only. And speaking of hole-in-the-wall locals only, you would never, ever imagine that a locals-only place, a locals-only joint, will be situated right by Santa Monica Beach, right by Santa Monica Pier. So to give you some frame of reference, that's obviously in California. That's obviously in West LA. That is in mega central tourist haven. You have the pier, you have the Third Street Promenade, and then you have this dive bar called the Regal Beagle. And everyone bypasses it except the locals because, and there's no bouncer, there's no advertisement. They don't card for the ID because they don't have to. The crowd control is just natural. It's almost like this natural progression. It's never going to get too, too crowded, like shoulder to shoulder. It's never going to get too empty. Now, let me describe this to you. It's kind of plain. You know, it has some charm. It has, uh, you know, carpeting floor. It has a red tablecloth. It has some tchotchkes all around. But really, you go for one thing. And yes, they serve your beer and they serve your carafts of wine. And you can actually be yourself. You can talk out loud. You can say, uh, you know, uh, a joke of innuendo, if you will, a politically incorrect joke, which is hard to come by even on these terms because we are living in a day and age where everything is politically correct. So in a way, you can let your shoulders down in this place, but you really go there for the peanuts. Yes. You see, no matter what, even before, even before you get your wine, even before you start to gossip of the who's who, of who's living here, of who's moving out, of who's dating who, of what kind of date I have tonight, of, you know, how is it even possible that I'm living with two gorgeous women, yet we are all plutonic, you get your peanuts. And these peanuts, they're better than baseball peanuts. They're better than any kind of peanut you have. And for whatever reason... Though the owners of Regal Beagle will never tell us the recipe of what they do with these peanuts. Yes, are we going there for a sandwich? Are we going there for a grub? You know, it's just really bar food except for the peanuts. So, you know, in a way, we really, really hope that in a day where L.A. is constantly changing, you see, uh, you see these dwellings from decades past be demolished for some kind of condominiums or new hipster monstrosities. We really hope that the Regal Beagle stays there and becomes a landmark. And if tourists don't come, well, at least it'll hold a special part for all of us locals. All right, Angela, that was our little quick review of the Regal Beagle from Three's Company. What do you have to I add? I love it. What, what is your opinion on that? What? Uh, I love oh. it. I love it. I, I, I never thought about it in that way. <laughs> I I love it. That is literally like my favorite, my, one of my favorite like all time shows. Like I just love it. And you know, in um, in Sherman Oaks they have a new bar. I, I guess I don't know how new it is, but it's called Mister Furley's. And it's so funny because a lot of a lot of people who maybe don't watch that show are like, "Why is it called Mister Furley's?" And I'm like, "Are you serious? Have you ever seen Three's Company? Where are you right now?" <laughs> I love that bar, though. It's a fun bar in a television show. What I liked most about it was really just all of the secrets, the gossip, all of the shenanigans that would happen there, you know? Well, like, how how true is a bar like this even in your own life, past, present, of where you can just chill, gossip, joke, be yourself? Well, the funny thing is, so I'm not really a bar person in general, but the funny thing about me is that 
even though I'm not a bar person, one of my very first jobs was a bartender. And it's so funny because I think was I, I think I was just, I was just out of college, you know, kind of hitting the, the pavement with looking for jobs. And one of my friends had a job downtown in Chicago at this really high end bar. And she was like, oh, I know the owner, you know, he'll hire you in a heartbeat. And he just wants really pretty women there. And I was like, but I don't even drink. I don't even know how to make drinks. She's like, no, I'll show you. I'm like, okay. So anyway, got the job interview. And so there, that was definitely because it was like a higher end bar. So there was a lot of celebrities, athletes and things like that. So it was the place where a lot of gossip would happen about people that you would just never really know, that you would never get the gossip on. Kind of like the E! Entertainment Tonight kind of gossip. It was definitely a fun place to work and be. I always had fun making drinks for all of the different like Chicago Bulls and stuff like that. It was fun. <laughs> oh, t- you got to tell us more. Tell us <laughs> Tell us more. You you uh, you dug yourself a hole there, Angela. You got to tell us more now on that. Right. Well, here's the thing. It's so funny because I would always get like the best tips. And then like, at one point, my boss was like, can I watch you make the drinks? And I'm like, sure. You know, so he would watch me make the drinks. He's like, you're putting far too much alcohol. That's too much vodka. Oh, my gosh. You know, you're like, did you not pay attention to like what what I told you? And I'm like, oh, you know, I just thought I'd make it the drink like better if I put a little bit more. He's like, yeah, but they're not paying for more. And I'm like, oh, I didn't really know it was that big of a deal. He's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I would make these ridiculous tips. Literally, like I would get like a hundred dollar tip. I would serve one drink and also I'm like, I'm like making more than he's making. And it was just like a really hilarious experience. Definitely a fun, fun time. I think I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about people too, because being in a bar or restaurant is really a great way as a writer. It really kind of, if you just go into a place and you just listen to dialogue, they always say that's a really great way to pick up on how people talk because you can always think you know, but it's nothing like sitting in a Starbucks and hearing a 14-year-old talk or an 18-year-old valley girl or, you know what I mean? Like different lifestyles and different places where people live, where they're from. So being there was was definitely just a really fun experience. I learned a lot about myself and people. Yeah, we definitely had some crazy, <laughs> some crazy times working there, <laughs> especially because this was before the whole Me Too movement. So before things were like, oh, my gosh, like super crazy, just like more acceptable, crazy stuff, but just like still like lighthearted, more acceptable things, you know, so it's funny. A lot of fun. Here's a show that has been off the air for decades. Obviously, it's in syndication. What makes Regal Beagle stand out to you even now? The thing about that particular bar is it felt like another character almost. So it was like a character of its own. And it's interesting because when you think about someone, like when you think about all the different characters' homes, which is where most of the stuff takes place. I mean, every once in a while they would go outside, but pretty much the stuff was taking place in the home. But something about the Regal Beagle just felt like, I don't know, you were really getting the inside scoop to who the characters were. Because it's almost like if you look at yourself as a person, you know, at home, I'm one kind of person. For the most part, I'm consistent with who I am. But at home, I'm one kind of person, right? To my husband, to my kids. And then when I'm out in the the workplace, I'm out in the world, there's a different side of me that's presented. And so I felt like the one thing that was unique about the Regal Beagle was like, there wasn't always really a separation between the person's character. Jack was Jack no matter where he was. He was always getting into trouble, always up to something always trying to get out of some situation that he got himself into, pulling characters from the bar, from there. And I also felt like it was a great place where new characters could often be introduced at the bar in a like really organic way. So that was always fun to kind of see that happen. I love that show. And I loved a lot of the scenes that used to take place there. They were just literally 
those like laughing moments. I'm like so old school. So like that is seriously one of my favorite shows. And like, I love Lucy again, just like silly old school fun. <laughs> but you address that it's more of, yeah, that, that it is that the tavern, that the Regal Beagle is like a character. What does though the Regal Beagle say about the characters of Three's Company? I think that they're really, at the end of the day, that they're great friends. At the end of the day, it was like, no matter what happened, the Regal Beagle was home for everyone. Yeah, the chaos happened. Yeah, there was breakups. Yeah, there was this, there was that. There was frustration. There was hideouts and, and maybe angry moments and stuff. A lot of chaos. At the end of the day, they were family. So I think what you kind of got from each of the characters was that, just like we all kind of do, we all have a place that we essentially call home whether that's a, a physical space or a group of people that we feel are like our home base, I think we kind of got a sense of friendship. I think that is what sort of like what the Regal Beagle offer to everyone there, no matter what problems you have, no matter what's going on in your life. This is a place you can come relax, which is like in real life at bars. But there was definitely a camaraderie, you know, a friendship. I got a few, few questions on Create Your Own Yes. And for, for our audience that has not yet picked this up, first of all, uh, go to Barnes & Noble, go to wherever you can even find Create Your Own Yes and just buy it immediately. But before we even get into, say, um, the Create Your Own Yes in the career-wise, tell our audience, how, how, how did you meet your husband? Because you mentioned <laughs> it in the book. That, that's why I'm asking. You, you, do, you do mention it, but I want I, I just love this story. It's funny because when he... He reads the book. I got that book based off of a TEDx talk. And when I told the talk, he goes, that's not how it happened. I'm like, listen, that's how it happened from my POV. We're never going to agree on how it happened. I originally met Arthur in college. So we both went to the University of Michigan. He was an engineer and I was an engineer. And the funny thing about it is that when my mom first dropped me off at campus, I remember she was like, okay, you have two things to do. The first is to find a husband. And the second is to graduate. And in that order, and I was like, what? What kind of mom tells their daughter? that they have to find a husband before they graduate. That sounds ridiculous. But nonetheless, I did both of them. So I met Arthur at college. But then once we graduated, you know, we kind of like were friends. We kind of maybe, I wouldn't even say we really dated. We were just really close, like best friends. I think in college, we were just best friends. So I moved to California. And then he moved maybe like a couple months after I did because he got a job here. We were living in different places. We hadn't really talked. I mean, I think I knew he was moving here but it wasn't anything definitive. And I was literally driving on the 405 freeway, which was literally the busiest freeway in the U.S. I was driving, heading south on the 405. The time I used to live in Torrance, so I was heading that direction. All of a sudden, I see to the right of me, someone waving their hand, flagging. And I was like, what is that? And I looked and I was like, oh my gosh, that's Arthur. I was like, that is so weird. And then he was waving me to like get off on the next exit. So I followed him. We got off on the next exit, like pulled over to a gas station. We're just like, hey, how's it going? Oh my gosh, you're here. You, you know, you, you're in town. And basically from that day forward, we pretty much started hanging out all the time. And then eventually we got engaged and then got married. So it was like so random. It's a cliche line, but the universe works in mysterious ways. Right? It totally does. But here's the thing I think that is so interesting. And I like to remind people is that a lot of times the universe is working and, and doing things in our lives, but we aren't always so responsive to it. So we kind of just like take things like, oh, that was a coincidence. And we don't really like take any action with that coincidence. And I think that's so important. You don't have to take a lot of action. You don't have to become like obsessed with like, oh my gosh, this happened now. I got to do like 15 things and follow this, this track path. But I do think that like when something small happens, I'm a big believer in taking at least one or two steps and kind of pushing that thing forward or following up 
on that thing or reading a little bit more into uh, watching something. And just to like give a real example, because I, I, I make this a practice in my everyday life. My husband, I forgot, gosh, what we were talking about, but it was something, some kind of controversial something with all the chaos and stuff happening in town. There was a guy who was on Twitter. Oh, you know what? It was the owner of, oh gosh, I forgot the sports team. But anyway, it's the owner of, oh, what's the team that had to change their name? The Red Hawks? Or is that like, you know, is that? Was it the Blackhawks? Was it the Indians? There's a lot of Native Americans. The Indian Hawks. Yeah, the Native, one of the, one of the Native Americans. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I think it was the Redskins. I'm really bad with like sports. Like I'm, I'm horrible. I think it was the Redskins. And anyway, basically they had to change their name. We were talking about it. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? How are Native Americans feeling about this? You know, we're just having conversations about it. Whenever anything starts to go like controversial, because my husband and I don't always agree on everything. And I'm like, okay, whenever there's any kind of conflict, I'm like, you know what? There's, we're talking about this. This like came into our face. So there's something we're supposed to take from this other than the direction it's going. So let me see who owns this team. So I look up, I'm like, who owns this team? And then we're like, oh, okay, this guy. And I look up this guy, I'm just reading his Wikipedia. And it's like, oh, he directed a documentary on screenwriters, on like rejection that screenwriters face and how they've overcome it. And it was like an older documentary. I said, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder if uh, this is available now. I go on Amazon Prime and it's available. I'm like, oh, what do we do? That night we watched the documentary that this guy produced. And it was really interesting. It basically talked about all of the rejection that screenwriters experience and how hard it is to break in. This was not a recent thing. This was older. So it was just really interesting to look back at something like that. So even if something as simple as that, and then you can build from there, then I could say, oh, maybe at some point I'll reach out to the director. Maybe I'll reach out to the owner of the team. Say, hey, I watched the documentary. I know you're a producer. Hey, I just wanted to give you a shout out. So I'm just saying there's ways in which you can just like organically, you don't have to become obsessive with it, but you can just organically throw it into your lifestyle and it becomes a lifestyle thing for you. And you just learn to build or you see conflict forming in your life or you see rejection or whatever it is. You figure out it's coming to you for a reason. But you've got to figure it out. Now, see, most people would have had that argument or discussion or heated debate or whatever with their husband or with their best friend or whoever. And they would have just left it at that. Like, oh, we're going to agree to disagree. And, you know, then you move on. Right. Most people would do that. Most people are not going to like then research and be like, well, who owns the team? And who? That's like pretty deep. And my husband's used to me. He's like, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? Wait, what is this? How did you find this document? This is the owner of the team. What? We were just, I was just trying to bring up a tweet. And I've gone from like a tweet to like. All of a sudden, this guy, we're like watching the, you know, documentary that this owner produced, you know? So anyway, I just think that's like a way in which you create your own yes. It's a way in which the environment puts things in there for you. But a lot of us are just like soaking up content. We're receiving information or we're not actually activating the things that we get that come to us in life. And I think the more and more we do that, the more we get closer to where we're trying to go. Excellent. And finally, what are you drinking and eating at the Regal Beagle? <laughs> funny let's see oh let me think my go-to thing pretty much is like honestly it's pineapple juice that seems so odd but that's my thing whenever i'm like having business meetings that's literally the thing i always drink is pineapple juice totally obsessed with it i'm not a peanuts person i like the smell of peanuts but i'm not a peanut person but any kind of snacks i love any kind of snacks if it's salsa and chips or any kind of snacking type food that doesn't get too 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 messy breadsticks i'm all about <laughs> how do you uh keep consistently creative and not plateau some of the most creative or funny things don't always come from like sitting down with that great idea you have they come from your everyday life experience and so i encourage people even something like a vlog 
And I just did a blog called Today with Angela. And with that, I think a lot of times people are afraid to experiment with things because they feel long term. They feel like they have to commit to something. So I think it's important to remember to like just you can do things short term. So like this little vlog I did, I just did it. I was like, I'm going to do 10 episodes and that's it. And then after that, like I'm not doing anymore. Like that's it. And that's okay. I know what I was doing when I went into it. Right. But then from that, so many other opportunities for me and different spaces and different things that I hadn't thought about, different ideas that came to me. And so I think it's really important to push yourself to do things a little out of the box that you wouldn't usually do. Or even if you stay in your box, that's okay too. Because we're always talking about go outside the box, go outside the box. You know what? Based on your personality, your time, if you can't always go outside the box, that's fine. Stay in your box. But while you're in your box, be like a little machine in your little box, right? And just try things. They don't have to be long-term. They can be short-term so that you can get your ideas out and you can allow more creativity to come through and flow. Where can everyone find you? Uh, this is the time to do your shout outs. You know, what books can they buy? What can they see? What can they expect from you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at live with Angela. And then, of course, I'm also on, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook as well and Twitter. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. So that's definitely a place to, you know, stay connected with me there. I don't really post a lot on there, but I'm always researching. I just love LinkedIn from, from that POV. CreateYourYes.com is where you can find more information about my book, Create Your Yes, when you keep hearing no. My TEDx talk is also on that website as well. And then I have the organization breakingintohollywood.org, which is a nonprofit I started, which is how we met, which is a nonprofit I started in like 2000 and I guess five now. So yeah, breakingintohollywood.org. That's also, you can get on our email list at the very bottom on the homepage and get all of my lovely emails about our events. Angela. Thank you. You are welcome back anytime, always and forever. To learn more about how awesome Angela is, go to createyouryes.com. We bought her book, read it in one sitting. It is that good. Also, go to breakingintohollywood.com. At both of these websites, she has links to all of her social media accounts so you can find out all of the upcoming brilliant projects she has simmering in the pot. And as for us at Restaurant Fiction, your new favorite podcast, tell at least one person to listen to this episode. I'm Monis Rose, and as always, keep it real, keep it fresh, and keep it on the flip side. Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant, bar, club, day, night, 